goes live. And we live. John Courts. Cool. Hi. What's up? How you How's doing? it going? How are you doing? Pretty good, man. Yeah. Starting to have fun again. Having fun again? Yeah. Less stressful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine your recent uh craziness that you probably had going on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Always. But it's uh we're set up now. I'm, I'm I kinda got the shop, at least for frame productions. I think ready to go. Of course the first batch the frames that I go to do with it being set up, I had to make at least two new fixtures for and kind of rethink one process because they're different. Yeah. So that was, of course, I'm like, yes, I'm set up. Oh, fucking not for these ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like if it was the, uh, if it was the nowhere frame, you'd have just been going, right? Yeah. I got those ready to go. I know that process is, is solid. Now. That's well, Hey, now you have a whole nother process solid again, right? Yep. Yeah, this one's it's new, it's good. I took the time again to make it work uh, as efficiently as I can, and it's you know takes time to get there, but it once you're there, it's better. Yeah, for repeatability and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yep. so I the reason I asked you to do this is because I realized first of all with the whole animal thing, it was like dang, like this is a really awesome thing, and then I thought, wow, it'd be really fun to have a conversation about not only that but frames and then thinking about your history in building BMX frames. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I've, we've hung out a bunch and wrote a bunch, but we've never like talked about that side of things. I just wanted to learn kind of like the, the whole story kind of, you said you, for me, your first frame at 17, like let's go way back. All right. Um, so even further back, it was 14 is when I, I set on the path to make frames. Um, I started riding, what, thir 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so I went to my dad. He had a welder in his, in his shop or in his, you know, his garage. And I was like, Dad, can you weld me a frame? And he laughed. He just had an arc, like a stick welder. Um, but I was like, oh, okay. So that's when I found the vocational program at, at the local at school and I went to learn how to weld so that I could weld make frames. I mean, that was my full intention. Like remember my welding teacher yelling at me to quit riding those stupid bikes. And I just looked at him like, fuck you. I'm going to, I'm going to move to New York and make these fucking things. Um, this is what I'm doing. I'm not, not doing this. So that's when he kind of had me go over and start TIG welding. Um, off of pretty much me yelling at him for yelling at me. Uh, it was a good relationship that way. Um, and then, uh, you know who Toledo Joe is? I know Joe that Pasella. name, yeah. Uh, he was working with a local muffler shop uh, in, in actually like probably a two-minute drive from where Crank – or uh, yeah, Cranks uh, – Ray's currently is. It was in Brooklyn, New York – or yeah, Ohio. Oh, yeah, that's literally like five minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, when whenever I go to Ray's from the highway – I go left at that split. You go to raise. If you went right, same distance, then you would have been where I, I worked, started making frames. Mm. Um, with uh, a local dude, uh, Josh Shriver. Pickles was his, what people knew him by. Um, and then uh, 
working after working there for a while, uh, Kerry Sayer, he used to, he was a mutiny pro. He used to, you know, uh, work at Changa, the, mm-hmm. the original one. And then he, he was a salesman at FBM. So he, he called up, um, but yeah, I was working at, at HMF was the muffler shop Okay. at 17. And that's when I made my first frame at that shop. And then I was talking to Carrie for a little while when Brock quit FBM and then they got me, he had me come in and, uh, hang out for a few times in New York. And then that's how I got to FBM. And that was 2004. Jeez. So yeah. at HMF, were you doing, you were welding exhausts or were you making bike frames? I was welding exhausts, but we were doing this, uh, I walked into it. So Toledo Joe, he was the one working with HMF and he, they were called, uh, Capricorn bikes. Okay. Um, he ended up leaving that pretty quick, but we had a whole bunch of tubing left over. So they came up with FKR. They ran, we ran a couple ads in Dan's comp around then 2003. I think it was in Dan's comp. Okay. Um, and and those were called FKRs. We made probably ten or twelve of them, maybe a little bit more. I wonder if there's one of those still sitting around somewhere. There's a few. I know I made I made one for um a couple locals, Justin Simpson, oh, Jake yeah. Finn, um, myself. And I know we had made a few. We gave out a, a couple giveaways. And then um, that's when, you know, shortly into that is when Carrie got a hold of me to come to come work at FBM. 18 yet? Uh, yes. Yes, I was at 18 at that point. Um, I moved there in July. My, fir- the, my start date was, was July 5th wow. of 2004. That is so, crazy. Being an outsider coming into FBM going, well, who's going to work – do they work on July 5th? It was just the 4th of July. <laughs> They're going to be too hungover to get to work. I mean, obviously it's just the, the joke of it all, but yeah, man, that's wild. So you were, you went from Cleveland, Ohio up to New York at 18 to Binghamton, New York at 18. Yeah. To build BMX frames after yelling at your vocational school teacher <laughs> that you're gonna do this. <laughs> yeah. We yelled at each other a lot. That's awesome. That's- I learned a lot from him. <laughs> that instantly makes me think of uh, Paul Senior and Paul Junior from American <laughs> yeah. Chopper. That yes, that's we watch that frequently. <laughs> so, so you went and worked at FBM in two thousand four. I can't recall when they would have started before that, but you were. So they were, they were doing. Frames through a couple companies. Uh, Spooky Dave was the, um, the 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 shop guy there, and he they had a warehouse in Ithaca um, of stuff from from purchasing. And then I I believe I don't I believe this is how it went because um, I wasn't there. It it burned down. Mm. Um, something happened. It burned down, and I think they got insurance money, and then they moved to Binghamton underneath East Coast Terminal. Um, and then started a shop and brought Dave in to build the frames there. Gotcha. And uh, fuck, was that 
I don't know when that start date was. Probably somewhere around 2001. Okay. I'm probably inaccurate on that one. I'm not positive. Either way. But I would say probably right around that time. It, okay, it says 18 years is how long they were open in 2020 when they closed. So 2001, 2002. 2002. Opened in 2001. You're right. There you go. Okay. I, I was I was thinking it was right around when All Time Low came out. That was because I remember still being at Changa. All Time Low came out. Um, the first animal video came out. They had a dual premiere night for that. And then it wasn't long after that till I, I moved to Binghamton. Man, that's so cool that you knew at 14 years old that this is what you wanted to do. And then, boom, 18 years old, you're doing it. And you're doing it for, like, the one of the most <laughs> legendary companies ever instantly. Right. I, I locked my way into that one. Man, that's wild. So you, you're building frames through, like, a lot of changes in BMX frames too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, when I first started, um, we weren't making mids yet. It was just in a, a testing phase. Um, euros were becoming more popular. There were still American bottom brackets and, and press fit headsets. Um, and then shortly after I got there, they all switched over to the, the integrated and then soon into the mids uh, was probably, the second year I was there, I think we pretty much got rid of American bottom brackets and went straight to mid and Euro. What's it like? And I would always get pissed off when the Euros would come through because you had to retap, rechase all the threads. And that was a bitch of a process. Yeah, that, that disappeared not quick enough in BMX. <laughs> yeah, that's, I always wanted, you know, our, our thoughts there was like, we're like, get out of here quick because, I mean, we're dealing with, 14 and 15 year old kids threading things into a frame. I mean, one wrong thread and you know, they think the whole frame's fucked. I mean, they, they need to be chased, yeah. but you put them in backwards, you know, they go in one direction. It was uh, not great for a bunch of young kids that don't really know, you know, how to build things or work with things yet. Or just buying the right stuff in general, because at one point in time there was Euro mid Spanish and American all being run at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and think about stocking that you got to have stock four different bottom brackets. And then if you want to have multiple colors, you got four different, you know, two, three, four different colors as well. Yeah. Which then, is, I think we usually did two colors just for that simple fact of making it easier, you know? Yeah, and then add in the fact that 19 mil and 15 sixteenths from profile were a thing too. Yep. It's crazy to think about because that instantly doubles everything too. Yep. Wild. So so you're building frames at FPM at 18. What is that like? I mean, just amazing. Like I learned... I mean, just learned so much. We had a, a real, real, real solid machinist who was making all the tooling. So I would get, I would get my, my stuff done. Um, Dave and Ken, Ken uh, Musgrave was the also, he's the other welder there. So I started out as just processing all the tubing, and then I'd finish that and I'd go talk to Jim Bag, who was the machinist, and hang out with him. And then at the time, Binghamton had a huge scene, and we had a skate park above us. So as soon as you get out of work. 
just go up to the skate park and ride as you know forever um they let us in and ride for free um and then you know nice out go street ride and it had great street back then it's decent now but it was it was really quite good street for not a massive city you know back then they've gotten rid rid of a lot of the spots that we used to ride but i mean just the people that would come through was it was awesome you know yeah, got I to you know, he's on my way in to go to Sean Arada's wedding. Drove <laughs> out to with them all. Man, so how many frames are you making? Like at this point? Now? Not now. At that point okay, in the story. At that, time, at that time, we were probably doing. I mean, we were doing batches of probably about fifty or so, and you know, multiple multiple batches every month it it quickly escalated even more um not long after i got there was when the pw moto came out somebody just mentioned that that's funny Yeah. yeah and the capone um shortly followed by the autopilot the deployer and when we were doing those frames i'd say we were probably somewhere around on an average, maybe two twenty-five to two fifty a month. Jeez. Um, it wasn't like consistent. Like one month we'd do four fifty, the next month we would do not that many because uh, fifty frames kind of lays over a month, a little bit high, longer than a month. So it would be, you know, heavy. So, but if you average it out, I'd say it was probably somewhere around two fifty, two twenty, two twenty-five. Um, at that point, I was I was a full-time welder. My brother. And Dylan Cole were doing the machining, the the processing aspect of it all. And then we had three people welding. Man, that's crazy. So were you part of any of like the the super legendary frames, like the Angel of Death type stuff? I made on that level. I made the last couple batches the last batch of night trains live wires i think the uh the aod was pretty much out at that point mm. it was like right as the right as that frame wasn't wasn't being done much anymore um we did do a small resurgence batch a couple years after that just uh satisfy the the need for that frame the want for it all you know an aod um but I didn't. I never really made a bunch of the AODs. That was mostly before I got there. Brock and Dave. I know the night train's definitely one that a lot of people. Yeah, that was that was more my my style of it. I had an AOD. I think that was my second good bike. Was an Angel of Death, and I crashed hard on it twice straight off the bat. So I got rid of that fucking thing. <laughs> it was trying to be a literal Angel of Death. Yeah, it was. It wasn't my geometry. It was a super high bottom bracket and heavy, and I needed a lower one. I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't belong in that bike. Plus, I mean, I had just started, so it was. It was inevitable. You're going to have a couple of good crashes in the beginning. Yeah. So, did you just do frames, or are you doing bars too? Or, um, we would do. We did forks at the time. Okay. Um, we did frames and forks. No bars. Um, when they first started getting bars made, I believe they were all made at S and M. Um, we started making some four piece bars in house. Um, after, uh, 
the house I lived at with, you know, it was a ratty BMX house. We had probably seven or eight bike riders that lived at our house. Um, and we would just watch, uh, old Jeremy Davis and Lou Razich videos on repeat constantly. Um, so one night Dylan and I went into FBM in the middle of the night and, and made a couple pairs of four piece bars. So that's when we started making a few pairs uh, of four piece. Man, how cool is those, that? Those were, those were kind of scary to ride too. Cause we didn't have bar material. Oh. We only had 049 for chain stays. So I just, I, I used a torch to heat treat them and dumped them in a bucket of oil and they held up for shit a year before I took them off. Cause I was scared of them, but <laughs> just scared for a year. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. They, I was actually surprised at how long, how long they actually lasted for what they were. Man, that's that's so wild to think about. So you ended up getting, you just made those bars, and then they were made, or you guys just made some bars, and that was it. We just made some bars, and you know, it was sort of as four piece bars were kind of becoming popular again. Um, so we had the machinists make a, a, a fixture for them. Mm. Um, they didn't, it ended up being a lot smaller of, of a box than we wanted. So they didn't sell a lot, but we made, um, I know a couple batches of 50 of them. And then eventually it, they got turned into the black flag bars, um, which were, they went on for a while. We, we opened the box up on those, made them a little wider, um, made them more aesthetically pleasing. I gotcha. So, yeah, the one, the what, the prototype ones I made were 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 good, um, and then the the ones that we made after that were a little bit small. They were called the the four piece dinner box. <laughs> That's funny. So you're like living the dream at this point. You're yeah. I mean, I I, I would say so. God, <laughs> you're in a BMX house, working under a skate park that you go and ride mm -hmm. after work while working for like one of the most legendary companies in all of BMX. And you have probably just legend after legend coming through town all the time. All the time. Yeah. All the time, man, not to like take it away from talking about building and stuff, but like even just that aspect of things had to have been amazing. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's all in the journey too anyways, but it was, it was super amazing. Like just coming in and, hanging out and, you know, getting ready for inner bikes. Like one of the times, uh, Leif used to come up eh, once in a while. Um, Leif Valen, he was a flat, it was, uh, their flatlander for mm. a while. They had, he had the equilibrium frame. Yeah. Somebody uh, just mentioned that frame too. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, that was, that was when I was there. Um, those, he, so <laughs> we made a, a thing for inner bike, uh, and we made a pretzel frame. So the down tube became the top tube. And then the top tube was straight through to the down tube. One of them, no, the, the down tube of the head tube went straight through to the top of the seat tube. I'm looking at a picture then, of it right now. Okay. We had a square head tube. That is um, absolutely outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. We ended up, so we ended up putting it together. That couldn't go together because of the way the chain stay was. I you can see. What chain stay? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so one thing we ended up doing after inner bike was cut, cut a section of the chain stay out and welded a square tube in there so you could run a chain through it. Yeah. I'm looking and then, at that one right now. Yeah, that was, we actually rode that one for quite a while. Like it would be our, 
go fuck around out back on the bank. Um, there was a bank at the loading dock that we got to mess around on and pretend to do flatland. Mostly just do front brakes, stalls. That <laughs> you, is couldn't, so you couldn't land hard on it. You could pretty much only try foot whips and shit. Dude, that rear <laughs> end, I could just see the freaking seat stays just snapping in half. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was, but that was just a joke thing to take to the inner bike booth. And then um, at the same time, we made that Leif uh, made a pair of fluted handlebars. Um, it was a time when butted bars were coming out, fluted tubing, which would be like the squares. Well, his flute was he just drilled a bunch of holes in it and then would go uh. walk around, <laughs> like pretending to play the flute. <laughs> That's funny. But, no, that was. It was awesome, man. And and uh, the first, all right, when was that? It was quickly into me being there. The first, the third ghetto street um, oh. happened. So I was on the got to be on the construction crew side of of that one. I went and rode in the third, uh, the second one. But the third one was awesome. It was like pretty wild, you know. When everybody came into town, and uh, Ryan Corrigan came in with a a drawing on a napkin to make that pallet loop that he made. He's like, I know how I'm going to design it. And <laughs> just the, the pallets he made into a loop and he, he had it on a, a sketch on a napkin. And, you know, it was, it was, it was wild. Did you like realize what you were doing when you went there as a kid? Like, did you know the significance of what was going to, it was going to be? Oh, of course no, no, of course not. But it was, you know, I mean, I knew that I was, that's what I was going to do. So that the significance in that, I guess, Yeah. you know, there to learn, to do this, to experience that. But it was more just, I'm fucking leaving Ohio and I'm going to go to this other skate park. It's <laughs> crazy, man. I mean, you went from like an already rocking BMX scene yeah. Which is wild to think at the time because of where it's at and everything is now, like mm-hmm. to another amazing BMX right. scene. Yeah, I remember I've talked telling some kids earlier because I was talking about skate parks. You know, they're few and far between now, especially. And I'm like, I, you know, where were we? We were riding some shitty skate park, and just going. And he's like, "Man, this skate park's pretty good." I'm like, "Sure." I mean, I grew up. <laughs> I grew up at Changa and then East Coast Terminal, and I'm pretty sure they were. I think I think Ride BMX used to do the the best skate parks in mm. the country list, you know. And I believe it was Changa number one, East Coast number two for like pretty much ever. Yeah. So I went from one to two, and then now you go to a skate park. I'm like, it's been so long now. I get to wash my brain of of its amazingness. But at the time, I'd go to another skate park, going, eh. Yeah. So. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I admit I'm similar to that whenever I think about, you know, going to Woodward in the middle of winter when they have lot eight and cloud nine open, I'm like, I've raised an hour away. Right. <laughs> and and yep. it's a similar thing. Just comparing everything indoor to raise is just now there's not really a comparison. No, especially, I mean, what you got. You got the wheel mill, mm-hmm. what, four, three hours from, from Ray's? Two and a half, yeah. Two and a half, yeah. But that's wild. You just, 
like like you said earlier walked your way into like the craziest thing that you possibly (laughs) could have so like how long does at what point does solid come into this story so i i i left fbm in 2010 i think so nine Um, years or not nine years six years yeah my brother and i my brother was like i'm gonna move he drove around. He left a little bit earlier than I did. I think he left in 08, maybe. Um, and he went and just did some driving around in his vegetable-powered car for a year and a half. And um, he's like, I'm going to move. Let's move to California. So I was like, all right, fuck it. Let's move to California. And we just pointed at a spot on the map, which was Oceanside, um, halfway between like San Diego and L.A., like right up below Camp Pendleton. And uh, we just moved there so i was like you know i left fbm then and went took a few months to get out there lived in louisville for a couple months lived back at home with my parents for a while so i can hang out with them before i moved to the other side of the country Um, and then working working in oceanside i was working just at a, a performance bike shop and you know having fun living in california and then uh got a call from aaron huff about you know coming up and helping him out so i would I still lived in San Diego, but I would drive up to Sacramento or take the train once I lost my once my truck broke down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just drive the eight hours if you got rid of, you know, eight hours travel time. If L.A. was not a giant traffic jam for four hours mm-hmm. um, and then I'd sleep on the floor of of uh, Huff's machine shop for, you know, however long I was there a week to a month and just wake up weld frames go ride the skate parks there, which are fucking awesome. Come back, go to sleep on the shop. And he usually came in around four, four thirty in the morning so that he could be home when his kids got home. Yeah. And as soon as I heard his CNC, cause that he would come in and run his uh, CNC mill. Once I started feeling the ground shake, that's when I got up and started going to work. <laughs> My gosh, so, man. That's... So I just, I'd work like 16 hour days there for, you know, for a couple weeks, make some money. And then I'd go back down to, to Oceanside and work at the bike shop again. The bosses were at the bike shop. were not happy about that. It, They'd always, you, I'd go, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be gone for like probably two weeks, three weeks. They'd be like, well, no, you, you can't, you can't do that. I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I mean, this isn't an option. I'm, I'm going. <laughs> and they just be like they just stand there looking at me dumbfounded and i'm like i i make frames i don't i don't just repair them whoa <laughs> so the head mechanic was a good friend of mine and he would always be like don't worry don't worry you got a job when you come back i'm like i mean cool <laughs> <laughs> that's that's i mean thanks but i i if if don't put yourself out because i don't you know that's not what i'm here for that's so but, just nuts to think about where people you know normal people in life have like this structure of whatever you didn't even need an alarm clock you got woken up by the cnc yeah i got got woken up by the fucking floor vibrating that's so crazy one thing that was actually real fucking real crazy about that is because i slept on on frame boxes on the floor with a sleeping bag and i used a box of wine to put me to sleep and the one day I was looking underneath, it was in the like storage area, and there was an HMF box from mufflers. Whoa. 
I was like, dude, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> that's like a, all right, this is what's meant to be kind of moment. <laughs> that was, that was wild. I was like, no shit. That's, that's fucking cool. I mean, I only worked there for a year and a half, but I'm like, that's pretty wild that there's a, there's a fucking muffler box from a four wheeler. <laughs> yeah. That's too insane. But so you're working at solid. What? Yeah. Yeah. I worked at, I did that for probably a year and a half where I would just come up and go down every month or so I'd come up and work. I was mostly making cults when I came up. Okay. So, um, when I left, FBM, they were make. They just started making a couple cults. I believe they made the, what were they? The Bad Boy and the Death Rose. Okay. FBM was doing the Bad Boys and Solid was doing the Death Rose. And then when I came up and started working, helping, helping out at Solid, um, they ended up doing both because FBM stopped doing it. They lost their capacity to do some of that stuff. Um, so we were doing cults. Both of the calls there, and then they were gonna start doing a lot of calls. I believe they bought. I believe Huff bought material for like, I want to say it was two thousand frames. Jeez. Um, but something ended up falling through, and the orders didn't end up kind of going as as planned. Um, and that's when I, you know, I stopped going up after that. After after the orders fell short. Um, from what the plan was for the, for those things. That's, and then Huff very, very soon after that moved up to Oregon, which is, I believe where he's at now. And I mean, just so I, did, I did a solid year and a half. Okay. So that would have been 2011, 11, 2012 yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. 2011, 2012. And then soon after that, I started, I mean, I was in, I was in California. For about, about two and a half years, and then I started missing my family, so I moved back to the to this side of the country, and and moved, went and then went back to FBM. I got because I was like, I'm and I want to work with a team of people. So instead of doing it by myself in my parents' house, I came back to New York and hooked back up at FBM. That makes sense. Uh... Just to give closure for all the people who always wonder about Solid and everything, Solid still does BMX-related things, don't they? They just don't make frames yeah. anymore. Yeah, I still, I still once in a while, if I just need to buy a quick bottom bracket, I'll buy them from him. I'll buy. He's got them on his website. Um, I bought some um, crank crank bosses and pedal bosses from him. Um, uh, during COVID, when I couldn't get material for, it was about eight, eight, eight months where I couldn't get any material. Um, I had some material, you know, I could get scraps. I couldn't get a lot of it. Mm -hmm. um, and we were waiting on head tube material. I found some press fit headsets yeah. or head tubes. So I bought, I made myself a press fit head tube and, and got a hold of Huff and, and ordered some, some old solid headsets. Nice. So that's actually what on my bike right now. I, I'm, I'm riding a, a press fit headset with a solid headset in there. Wow. I was going to get there eventually, but we could talk about that real quick before keeping the story going, because I mean, you told me you think it's better and there's reasoning for that. Uh, the, I'd say the bearings are better. They got, you know, you got more of a surface area contact. Um, the three piece design of it, you know, isn't cause you know, one piece can move, one piece can shift over 
a lot easier than a, a solid billet of, of aluminum or yeah, aluminum of chromoly. <laughs> um, I just got done working with aluminum, um, a solid billet of chromoly for the head tube, mm. you know, it, it'll, it gives it more structure and, and a better strength to it. But I mean, I like the bearings, those needle bearings are, are fucking smooth, man. <laughs> like you can, can there it's good. It's, it's, I, I prefer them, but you know, I still like the integrated. Yeah. It, it adds a lot of weight because you got to have a thicker head tube and the the cups have to go inside of the head tube. So there's a, lot, a decent amount of added weight to do the press fits. I but you. if we could, the bearings are, are, are top notch, you know? Yeah. Have you had, uh, have you had anybody other than you request that at all since you figured that out? Um, actually we, some things in the, in the ideas in the works of it, but I, what really sparked that was I was contemplating to putting a solid headset on and my, my buddy growing up riding with Jordan Stewart, he, uh, he hit me up and he wanted it. He like, that's what he wanted <laughs> frame. So I'm like, well, fuck it. I'm yeah, I'll, I'll build that. I'm going to put one together for myself. I've been contemplating it anyways. And then the other part of it was I've, I've never had two bikes my entire life. I always just give away every old frame, every old part that I've ever had. So I don't have any old frames or parts. And and part of me putting that headset on was like, you know what? Nobody's going to want this frame. So I know I'll at least have this set up forever. <laughs> That's funny. I, can't, I go to give this to somebody and they're going to look at me like I'm a fucking idiot. So how old is this thing? Like what? Yeah. You're riding this? <laughs> yeah, right. I don't even know how this works. Like, yeah, that is. So that way I get to have two bikes, although um, I just had one. So I gave my and, and somebody that came through town, um, his frame was fucking ratty. So I took mine apart and gave him that one. So now I'm back to one bike of the press fit headset. Yeah, yeah exactly. I got the parts for for the frame for the whenever I do go to build myself another one. Yeah, you know, the guy, you know, a guy who makes yeah, some bikes. I kind of know a guy that can do it. <laughs> so. We're at this point in the story, we're about 2011, 2012, you're going back to FBM. What is, what is the state of things there? Uh, slow, um, lots of, you know, there's lots of need. There's, that's when I came back, the, the big thing they were saying is, you know, FBM sell themselves. Um, it was just trying to keep up with things. Uh, it was difficult keeping materials in stock. Like most of the, like kind of now for me too, but most of the time if, if somebody's frame got fucked up, they were shit out of luck. You know, we didn't have spare parts lying around ever for, for other, you know, to make a new frame if need be, we'd always have to order things as they come and never really, never really got back on top of it. Mm. Um, but yeah. ambition seemed high (laughs) at at first at least yeah so you're building at this point this is getting close to the the stairmaster right oh so i made the stairmaster before i left oh okay so i left what what was the frame we were making when i left we were still making um we were still making stairmasters but it was called a gypsy all right at that point so fuck. When did Aaron Ross leave? Aaron Ross left. I want to say two thousand. The end of two thousand eight, maybe two thousand nine. I don't know. 
Yeah, me neither, really. Um, but that's when the Stairmaster got switched over to being called the Gypsy. The same frame, but since Aaron Ross wasn't part of it, um, the geometry was just so so stock yeah. that there was no need to change it. So we just um, gave it a new name, a new graphic, couple graphic design. Um, uh, I think one of the first ones was that Black Panther crawling up the tube. I think it was one of the, the the one of the first gypsy designs. We made those for quite a while before I left. Um, what was the f- when I came back? It was okay. Um, Bell Witch. Mm. I think I think I was there for the prototypes of the Bell Witch. FBM Bellwitch. Yeah, that was the Tom Blythe frame. Yep. That's what I'm seeing so, right now. I think I was there for the prototypes, maybe a batch or two. And then that's when I, you know, I, I went on my, on my walkabout to California. Gotcha. And, then, and then came back and the hey. Bellwitch was gone. It was the Orphan. The Gypsy was still there. What were the other? And, and then and the Stairmaster. Gotcha. Yeah, not Stairmaster. I'm an idiot. Steadfast. That's the name that a lot of the, people wrote. Yeah, yeah. The Steadfast became uh, the flagship of the of FBM, really. Yeah, I remember yeah. that one. Yeah. Before that, I'd say it was the autopilot. Um, as, as flagship wise, you know, I would say that was probably their second flagship after the, maybe third, after the AOD and the night train, gotcha. another tag. Train. So was it just you welding at this point? Was there a few of you? Um, when I came back, so when I left, there was me, Dave and a local dude, Joby. Um, when I came back, Joby was gone and there was this guy, Paul working there. Um, he wasn't a, he was a more of a mountain bike rider than, than a BMX rider. Cause he, <coughs> I don't, he was, uh, he was there with his girlfriend at school and, and BU and he was a welder, a good welder. So he was doing those. And then he left shortly after I got back. Um, and then it was just me and my buddy Dylan working. I was welding and Dylan was processing. And I was making the customs as well, but, and then it was, uh, yeah, it was just us for a while. And then we got evicted from that building on the, just before the 20, no, just after the 21st birthday of FBM of their, the conception of the company from a T, you know, in the beginnings of a t-shirt company. Yeah. Um, I started, we found that out in a fucking shitty way. Um, we were getting ready to have a birthday party. So we we're going to put ramps out back of the building. And I was, we had a loading dock that I was putting concrete down to smooth out. So there were no bumps for the railroad we were going to put off. Um, I was working on, and as I was working on quick, quick creating a, like a steep quarter up the loading dock, um, this guy pulls up in a car. What the fuck are you doing? Uh, making, you know, a quarter pipe so we can have our contest. And uh, it was some guy from the city. The landlord hadn't been paying the taxes for the last 17 years. 
on the building that we were renting. Um, I think his dad worked for the IRS, so he knew the minimal amount to pay and when to pay it as to not have the government come after you for the taxes. Well, after whatever, 17 years of doing it that way, they finally came at him and they told us we had, I think it was two weeks to get the fuck out of there. Wow. So we, uh, that's when we moved up to Ithaca. When we, when we had to leave, and that was the second place that I was in with them, the first place underneath East Coast Terminal, um, they can, it, was, it was attached to a second building which got condemned. And it blocked off our loading dock access, which I guess by law made us not be able to be a business in there. And they gave us a two-day notice. Wow. So we, once they came in and told us, you guys got to get the fuck out, you have two days, we had to literally just go, fuck. We got to find a building and move in two days. Dude, that's not easy. No, it was nearly, I mean, you know, that was, I'm sure, a huge setback. I don't even know what it looked like financially for them. But, and that was at the time um, when the completes first started. Gotcha. So, I mean, I'm sure, honestly, out of all times that could happen, that was probably a decent time for it because at least there was things for them, you know, the sales guys to sell during the move to to try to make a little bit of money since the shop's going to be down. I mean, we had to rewire the new building. We had to get transformers to actually have the power to work in the new building. I believe they were step-down transformers um, because it had – the power going into that building was crazy. It was an old EJ shoe factory building. Man, that's yeah. <laughs> two days. Two days. That was that was fucking crazy. To move everything it takes to make everything you guys were making. Yeah. I mean, and, and that there was four four milling machines, um, at least three weld machines, you know, a giant uh ceramic t- uh stone tumbler. Uh, so many other, you know, machines and fixtures and, and frames and, oh my God. <laughs> wow. And we had to, we had to fucking all, all, you know, we had to employ the, well, employ, ask for the help of, of the people that lived in my house to come in and help us pack boxes and load pallets and, and get it out the door. I was going to say, Luckily, how do you even pull that off? Uh, we... They, they rented a building. I think the easiest reason that it happened is they rented a building, you know, uh, I, I'd say it was maybe a quarter mile away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, half the shit, I just drove the forklift down the street, across the road, into the new building. So we can get things there. Damn. <laughs> no kidding. I guess yeah. that would make it. Just drive whatever you have to on the forklift. I guess that's not as bad. It helped. I mean, it definitely helped that it, that we could do that, or at least did do that. So, how much? Where, where are we at in time? Moving to this so, last place. When I came back, it was around twenty, the end of twenty twelve. Um, I did the same. I was living at my parents. I would come back and work for a little bit and then go back before I fully moved here. Um, and then when we moved, I would say it was probably, shit, when was their 21st birthday? 
2014. Okay. So 2014 was when they had to move. So we, you know, packed up and and moved that up, moved it all up to Ithaca. Yeah, Dryden, Ithaca, but moved it up uh, into the into this area. Gotcha. Um, we, I think we, they had just bought a new van that uh, my at then girlfriend, now wife, went down to pick up in Pennsylvania. One of our first few dates, picked it up in a freezing cold fucking car. Um, <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then we had to load that up with, with all the shit to, to move with. And it, it was a rough work van. And on the way up, um, my brother came and helped. Some of his friends came and helped me, helped us move. And we're driving a load of stuff on the way on the way up to the new, the new building. And we had also moved in February. <coughs> so it was cold as fuck. Yeah. Uh, cold as fuck for the whole goddamn move. I mean, and we had to rewire the building again. So we're re- rewiring the building in the cold. My brother's an electrician. So he took care of that part. Um, but we're driving up and then, um, my one buddy in the passenger seat goes, uh, we just got passed by a wheel. Um, one of the brakes had seized up in the back and <laughs> locked up and the axle just spun off. And I didn't really feel it because the big, such a big van loaded, freighted down, um, just dropped and, and passed us. And then it was on fire. Luckily it, it was luckily in this part, it was cold because there was enough snow on the ground that the van didn't burn. We just kept grabbing handfuls of snow and put it on the on the burning burning uh axle grease to till it got cool enough to stop catching back on fire was your wife there for this no she wasn't there for that i'm like dude that's a keeper (laughs) she she drove uh when we picked that van up probably a month uh before that it was it was you know january and she drove down um somewhere i believe near bethlehem pa to pick it up gotcha Holy cow. I'm supposed to ask you about Opie. Opie. <laughs> oh, what about him? No, he's, he's like, he's probably my oldest friend, um, honestly. Uh, known him since I was 16. Still talk to him on a regular basis. Yeah, that's awesome. But he lived, he lived in the house with us. Okay. Yeah, there was nothing specific there. Just ask John <laughs> about Opie. <laughs> he goes by Mike now. Oh. It's weird. Dude, that's like Sponge. Can't yeah. I, I cannot refer to him as Josh. <laughs> I I gave him I gave him one day on his wedding day. We were all gathered around. I'm like, all right, he's an adult. I'm around his family. So I was like, Mike, Mike, <laughs> Mike, Opie, turn right around. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I gave you the option of me me starting to call you Mike for a while, and he didn't respond. So that's great. So you guys, you move the shop, you, you get things going again there. Is it just status quo for a few, for years until, until it eventually ended up ending? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was rough. It was getting rough before we moved anyways, but the move was a big setback. I'm imagine. sure I could even, then I know, um, 
And then, you know, just trying to keep things going, the status quo, real slow on money. At the end, I was pretty much just buying everything to keep the shop going. Yeah. So... And um, my buddy Dylan that was working with me, after I had a, I had my, my little, my first little girl, and right before, when my wife was pregnant, my buddy Dylan, who was working with me, found a house that he wanted and he bought, so he... It was like an hour drive away, so he wasn't he wasn't about to do that that drive. So it was the last two years of it. It was just me in there. Yeah, probably two and a half years. It was just me in there in the new shop. Oh man! So so you're building frames there, and then how much how big of a gap was there between FBM closing and then you starting your own thing? Uh, not really any i mean the once it, we once we found out it was close closing i was like well i gotta i gotta make some money real quick so i can because i was already way behind with them uh, when a small business goes down you know goes down it's not financially fun for anybody that stays involved yeah um, so i bought a bunch of tubing designed a new head tube um, got some dropouts, designed and made some dropouts, started kind of at least building a few customs um, so that I could at least, you know, pay my bills. Um, right. And then started going for a bunch of long walks, trying to, you know, do some thinking, do some figuring out some. I mean, I knew I was going to continue doing it because I don't, you know, I'm, my direction was since I was 14. It's not like I'm going to just go, <laughs> ah, fuck okay. it. I'm done. All right. Excuse me, going this and then you know. <laughs> no. I mean, really, now is is the direction where I initially planned to be when I was in fourteen. Um, you know, you except for now, I'm you know, I don't have many friends, so you know, and it's lonely up here. So I'm, I am by myself for the most part, at least in the shop wise. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I was doing that, and then I started really just walking and trying to think of a new name and how I'm going to do it, trying to think about the things that I, you know, I, I, I'm not, I've been spectating the whole time, you know, I'd go around, I'd see this, I'd, I'd think about that and, and see how this was done and how that was done and, and how, how that kind of reacted and, you know, put my own thoughts through, I did a lot of walking and thinking. Um, and then, yeah, I, I borrowed, I, once it shut down, I, I went down to, my brother worked a, a job in Louisville where he's living. And they had a milling machine out back and a bandsaw. So he, he got the milling machine and the bandsaw for 600 bucks. And, uh, is that you know, good? once I don't know if that's good. It, yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, it, it had been dropped many years ago it still worked fine um come to find out because he hadn't even had the power to hook it up mm. so um you know once once fbm was fully done with and i was you know by myself i started situating my garage to be able to make frames and then i drove down to louisville to borrow his mill took that apart down there loaded up in a u-haul on the back of my father-in-law's uh, suv i borrowed and then uh, drove it back up here, put it together so I could start doing things, um, making some, you know, um, 
uh, Vic at Circuit really helped me. He was one of the first first things I, I was able to make out of the garage. And then um, the Neb guys, the trail crew from you know the Northeast, uh, they bought a, a couple frames from me so that I could I could get going and started doing some customs. And and slowly building up from there. COVID was a big kerfuffle, fuck up for for everything. Yeah, obviously. And that happened right when it was all starting, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I legally formed my name in October. I didn't. I don't think I really made a product until the next year, though. But I mean, it was you know as soon as I started making products, it was you know shut down. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, didn't really affect me the first year because people still had material. So it's like, Oh, cool. This it didn't do much to me. I mean, my, I live, we live out in the country and I, I got to just live normally like I had been right for the most. Part. And then the second year of it, once that's when I was like, Oh, well, everybody's out of materials now. And you know, nobody had just got, nobody had been working for the last however long. Uh, so that's when the third, the second year of COVID is when it really hit me hard for the, for materials and all that shit. Yeah. And then, I mean, at this point we're like right now, I feel like you finally got all that situated and you're like, you're saying you're in, you're in go mode. Yeah. Yeah. This, um, the animal batch of frames was the, the first one with i think other than having to build you know little special things for this batch or that batch because each batch is you know these are flatland frames so they're they've got a bunch of little quirks to them that are different from all the other frames which is that's what i had to compensate for um but the animals were the first ones where i was like cool it's set up i got to run through those things without you know having to stop and and fix that, not fix it, but like make something new for this. Um, cause their process was the wishbone, which I, I had made with their prototype or their yeah. sample frame. That I had made the fixture with their sample. I have a picture of that pulled up right now, just so people can get an idea of what you're talking about, because <clears throat> the wishbones definitely somewhat unique in terms of the BMX world, right? The, the a wishbone with this short of a rear end? Um, lately it's been, I think, seemingly so. Although it, for the short back ends, a wishbone works better. It gets you better clearance, um, especially with all these these fat tires and short back ends and bigger sprockets that we're wanting to go back to. Yeah. Um, it's the math just doesn't equate the amount of times that somebody, you know, I've had people go, the chain alignment's not great. I'm like, yeah. You're riding a BMX bike too. I mean, <laughs> you want a fat tire and a short back end, you're going to have to compromise, you know, perfect chain alignment. Well, um, you know, there's, you can do dimpling. Um, I'm jealous of we, the people with their, um, uh, their, their yokes. The that, investment cast. Yeah. The investment cast yoke. That's, I mean, that's, that's how you're going to be able to, to fit all of that shit in there. Right. And, and have everything just be, be lined up, but like bending tubes and, and all that, the wishbones probably going to get you the best, the best of all those worlds. 
Yeah, and I just realized the the rear end on those frames isn't super short. That's no, that's normal by today's standards. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but even even at that, it does it does allow you for a lot more. Like you can probably almost run a thirty tooth on those things with a pretty good wow. a pretty good chain. You know, I I'm exaggerating some, but like you won't have to gap. You won't have to gap a bigger sprocket out too much on those frames. That's awesome. That's what chain alignment is one thing that like it really feels like BMX doesn't care a ton about it. Yeah. I mean, we're so rough on our bikes anyways. Yeah. And and we're not going, you know, when you're not shifting through gears, unless you're racing, you're going to feel it, but you don't really feel it much. It's not like we're cranking all the time and well, it's it's also just the setup of the way a BMX bike works in the crank system. When it comes to if you have to use a crank bolt and you have to have a half inch of spacers between your sprocket and your crank and your crank sprocket and your the bolt like where the crank bolt goes into, it's kind of like it's who's going to do that? There's only yeah. so many people who are going to mess with that. And like any company that makes a bottom bracket if they include a drive side cone spacer thing, it's like you don't even need it at this point. You just two spacers and you're good. Yeah. Um, shit. Speaking of that piece, um, when I f- one of the first uh, other projects that the salesman Jeff, uh, when I was at first got to FBM, um, Jeff Harrington and Carrie Sayer came up with um, like a, a whole piece with the, 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 the sprocket bolt and the gap spacer for an all in one, oh, you slide it. Oh yeah. Okay. They, they had, they had a few of those made for FBM. I don't know if they ever really sold them or if they just had some made and used them themselves, That's a, but they, well, they had made in like 2005. I think it was, they were making those. It's, well, that's a genius thing to make, but <laughs> the that's another stocking thing you have to go a millimeter each yeah and you have to go from like two millimeters to 15 millimeters whatever it ends up being which i guess that probably wouldn't be the worst thing ever but uh yeah it's it's one of those things like somebody said spline drive for the win that's what i was getting at is that right with spline drive yeah you can you can make your chain alignment perfect usually. Yeah, you go wherever you want, you know. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so somebody was asking with the animal frame, do you think a twenty-five tooth guard would work flipped? I couldn't tell you that for sure, but probably. I mean, I don't know how your alignment's going to be. I didn't. Re- I didn't do like a bunch of big measurements on it because. Um, the wishbone's going to come out to be the way it comes out to be. Yeah. So there wasn't me, there wasn't a lot of uh, concern of, you know, it probably would have been, you know, nice to put a bunch together just to go, all right, it'll work with this option, that option, this option. But I mean, it's, it wasn't going to change how it was made. Yeah. So Um, I couldn't tell you for sure on that one, I guess. I guess you'd have to ask somebody who has one to try it and see if it'll work. Right. I mean, at that point, you probably want to, you probably want to run a chain guard anyway. So if you can, if you buy one, put it on. And if it don't work, you just 
Don't yeah. flip it. Don't flip it. Yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, gap, put some spaces under there and, and gap it out and see how far your, how fucked your chain alignment ends up becoming. <laughs> I remember when I learned about chain alignment, I went through and just took off all of the drive side spacers on my, <laughs> whatever <laughs> right? I had at the time. Uh, so since we're talking about the animal frame, I guess we could just talk about the animal frame. Mm-hmm. How did that come to be? I've, I've been making, um, custom frames for Ryan Howard. Oh, um, yeah. For the last, the last few years. Um, and he's just like, you know, he, he, he threw it out there. He's like, what about, what about doing a small batch of animal frames? I'm like, well, that would be, you know, absolutely fucking awesome. Um, I wasn't there. I wasn't at FBM because they did scavenger, which, you know, sort of an offshoot, uh, with animal, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I was, I wasn't there for those for one. So I was like, I missed out on that. Those are American. Made. Um, those, yeah, the, the bridge frame, huh. the scavenger bridge was made at FBM. I have one of those. I had no idea it was no, made by sure. FBM. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the, the two and a half, two or two and a half year hiatus from when I was there. Huh. Anyway, that's awesome. But yeah, and then, I mean, really, it was just him going, let's, you know, was is that a possibility? I was like, yeah, here, fucking, let's do it. So we talked about it some, and we, we came up with doing, because um, right now, I only have one frame fixture, so I don't like to tie it up too long. Um, 50 frames, the way I can work now, if they're simple, um, is a about six weeks of, of when I can actually sit down and, and, and production. So at least I think, right. I mean, my times are so fucking horrible right now. I haven't, I haven't had even the slightest bit of accuracy yet. Um, unless it's a custom and I'm building customs and I can go, Oh, I can do it this time. Cause that I know. Um, but with all the variables of still building the shop and in the way my life is, you know, for, for the next few years, um, my timelines are fucked. I, I was talking to my wife actually about those. It just, whenever we go on a family trip, I'm like, it takes three hours to get there. She's like, it's two and a half. I'm like, she's like, why don't you do that for work? I'm like, I thought I've been trying to, I've just been <laughs> so far off that I have still am underestimating. Um, but so we're going to end up for the animals. We're doing 150 total, um, in batches of 50. Cool. So how'd you guys decide is, did Ryan just immediately know he wanted like that wishbone set up and everything? Yeah. I mean that the frame is his frame minus the geometry. Okay. His, his frames geometry is way different than that one. Um, He's got like a 76.25 head tube. Um, That's steep. Yeah. It's a super, you know, a shorter back end. Um, his frames wild um huh. a little bit i mean it's it's a very responsive oh, it's him he rides right. different yes. than anyone yeah. right so i mean it, and but uh so but the 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 look of it all the 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 aesthetics of it are are from his frame that's super cool the uh but yeah which was one thing that he 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 liked he he always wanted that that's really sweet so did you do how did you do the head tubes the uh um engraving i'm gonna fuck his name mitch mccracken okay. i think his name's mccracken um he's 
he does uh, sprockets called um, HMS. Let's see. MHS? MHS sprockets? Um, he lives in Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, what's it called? Keystone sprocket? Is that it? I think I know his. The, Mitch McCracken, his Keystone Cycle Parts? No, that can't be it. Don't, don't no. I saw it. It came up in Google when I typed it. The, the sprocket that I have of his is a black sprocket with a, a, an engraved key, silver keystone logo on one of the edges of it. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I just, I wanted to try to get it. Yeah. But I. But he, he's, he's the one that I sent the head tubes to to do the engraving. Nice. And um, all my head tubes and well, pretty much all my head tubes and bottom brackets, like earlier I said, I'd buy, I'd buy some um, Huff at random, some bottom brackets um, for it, this or that, you know, other things. But most of everything that I get made, um, head tubes and, and bottom bracket wise, all come from Derek Gerard. Um, he used to be an FBM um, prior. He, he's. Yeah, he had the deployer was his signature frame. Okay. Um, so. Yeah. I remember uh, Crandall paid for him. I believe Crandall was pissed about this one. I'm probably, ta- I might be talking out of my ass. <laughs> but I remember hearing stories about Crandall being pissed about um, Derek entering. It, it was, a, it, I think it was a story from Crandall where he was probably exaggerating it. But um, he paid for Derek to enter the La Rev up in in. Uh, Toronto and when he came back he's like oh he did I think he did some huge half bar mm-hmm. like just some big gap and he's like that's all he fucking did I mean obviously that's not all he did but yeah it was uh it was just it was funny that is funny yeah he does I mean his eye for details it's I've, I it's awesome I mean just these these head tubes, they come out Wheel. so goddamn clean. He runs his shop out of his garage, uh, shop at his his property in Maine as well. I gotcha. That's awesome. I'm, I'm he does. Derek also does sprockets, a DRG machine. He does a lot of sprockets, um, some stems. Oh wow! I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Yeah. Some this dude in Pittsburgh, MHS Manufacturing. Yes, that's it. I had to go to Mike Potosny's bike check that I made <laughs> a year ago, but I, we got it. MHS Manufacturing. That's it. And what do they do? I totally forgot who I was look, why I was looking he, for that. <laughs> He's the one that did the uh, the engravings on the head tubes. That's right. Cool. So, so you, that's who did that. Then you get the a lot of your stuff from Derek Gerard. Um, uh, and Carrie Sayer was cutting all my dropouts. He works at a, a shop in Ohio that does laser cutting. Um, right now I'm getting them from a website, one of them online ones. It sucks, but it saves me so much money at the moment. Um, the material has gotten so fucking expensive and this place is able to buy so much of it that it's inexpensive. Uh, so until I can pretty much buy, I want to say I calculated out a little bit. I had to buy like five sheets of the dropout material, which would be like almost 1500 dropouts. Jeez. Um, just to even, 
to even come close to keeping and Carrie wasn't charging me for making making the dropouts. So even even with him not charging me, I'd have to buy like five sheets of material to start coming close to the price that I can actually get this that this other place is doing it. Wow, that's seven hundred fifty frames at one time. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely don't have no financial stability for that shit right now. <laughs> so, so I mean, yeah, you've been doing the animal stuff. Uh, there's you've been making nowhere frames for quite a while now. Yep. There's the tech bike co frames. Yep. Is there anything else um, you've been doing? The ones that in that background right there is the Flatland one. That's um, the Maja Days, Terry Adams Flatland frames. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Um, my my one buddy out in Montana, uh, White House Bikes. Yeah. Um, I made some. I made frames for him at FBM, and when they shit the bed, um, he he bought one of the frame fixtures for FBM, and I flew out to Montana. Um, to to go and stay at his place for a week and show him how to use a fixture um and then helped him make a batch of frames because he had started making frames many years ago too um so i got him going in you know on that and then his he he started doing he was getting ready to do some we the peoples mm-hmm. and then larger days and his back fucked up like real bad he had to have back surgery two years ago and he i think two years ago and he's still his back still got problems um i remember talking to him about the maja days and he tried to get their four sample frames out and he's like i'm gonna just go out there and 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 i I, he's like i can make four frames work and it he's like dude it sent me back a month um of recovery from his back surgery so um i took that project on to like kind of help you know have maja day get them um, I hope I'm saying that name right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Terry. But no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 uh, I, I took those ones on on that one to to help Ben along. I mean, <clears throat> really help Terry, but you know, get get you know. Yeah. So Ben had half of, some of the stuff processed so that because his you know he got a little bit done. I gotcha. So for anybody who might be wondering, since we're talking about all this stuff, you know, like the nowhere, the tech, the Terry Adams, the animal, like what are the kind of parameters for if say somebody was like, oh, or, you know, how the wheel mill had some frames made or circuit or or that stuff like what, what are the parameters for that if somebody wanted to do that? Um, really, there isn't one. Um, I, so I'm doing, oh, and Reclamation's another one I've made frames for and, oh, and cool. going to make frames. Um, the only thing I don't like is the, the chain tensioner dropouts, <laughs> the built-in dropouts, um, I, which I'm doing on these, these Maja days. Um, and honestly, mostly cause it's a flat land frame. Uh, I'm not as scared about that, but it, it, they freak me the fuck out. Um. There, there's less than a 16th or there's about a 16th of material on each side of the hole Scary. on a dropout. Hey, yeah, too. God. I mean, we jump off of 20 stairs and, and, you know, land sideways on three sixties and shit. You're going to, it scares the fuck out of me. Not only that, uh, to, 
you're tightening this way and then your axles pushing this way so you're pushing and you're going up like that's freaky right it it is and i so i don't i i don't want to do those um i have a setup now to do it um i think what i might end up doing is just going all right it takes this much more time to do um you pay this much more and and if somebody breaks that dropout my only response is well no shit um that's what's going to happen with that. So sorry, your frame broke there, but I saw a thing where somebody had a, what looked like a gyro tab on the inside of a, uh, dropout. Yep. And then you just had the bolt that goes there. I thought that was um, interesting. I've done that style. Um, I th think that would work good, but you couldn't really put it in with the hub guard. Cause now you're, Oh Yeah on some crooked i have an idea um don't give it away <laughs> nope uh i have an idea to rectify that and trying to like come up with a new new way to do that but it just you know i need time and i need some time and some money to get there what i'll say but I have to get started. what i'll say for now is if you need something like that just look at the, the alienation circle jerk That's things just use those Yep, that's, I mean, that's when I saw somebody did that fork, and I know Alienation did them for the back ends. I'm like, that's that's perfect. That's what you, Yeah. that's that's really all you need. I mean, all you're trying to do is get it close to being slammed. Yeah, and. and I tell you, you want a slammed axle, so if it does move, it barely can move. Yep. You know. there, somebody's always made those in BMX, and that's, that's the solution that makes it easier. Yeah, I mean. The threading into it is just, it's a difficult one because there's so many variables in a back wheel. Yeah. So, you know. so like if somebody wanted to, to have frames made, they just kind of know what they want to do or what? Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I'm going to have, I got to sit down again and reassess pricing, but it's, I'm trying to get it as low as possible for the numbers. Mm. Um, but really what it is, it's just going to be, you know, um, you design it for the most part, freedom of design. I mean, I like the tax and the nowheres. Those are complicated frames to build. Um, fun in my eyes. They take time, but it's fun. Um, <clears throat> I'd say, the, you know, I want to come up with a good price that, that a crew could do. Like, I mean, honestly, that's my customs are the, my favorite thing to build. Yeah. Um, kind of by a long shot. And I, and one of the main things I would really like to do is be able to do some like crew customs. Like if you and your friends ride the same geometry, which is pretty fucking likely. Yeah. Uh, you can all kind of go in buy a small batch of shit and you all save a little money when you get a new frame and it's what you want. It's, you yours, know, it's not literally it's your, it's your fuck. You can fucking make your own stickers for it and pick out your colors and, yeah. and and do it, do it your way um so <clears throat> i've got it down pretty good but i just need to do a quick reassessment this year of pricing and make sure that i don't sink myself like uh you know yeah BMW. right so availability wise is that i mean what you've got you're doing a lot of stuff is there even any room on the calendar for if somebody was interested in that Right now, it's pretty far back. Um, once I get things rolling smoothly, um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I got to use that word now because I'm getting rid of hope. Uh, 
I'm assuming that next year I won't run into too many, unless machines break, complications in production mm. to where I can come up with solid timelines and actually go, okay, I do have some slots for it open. Um, the one thing I, I am doing, though, is creating breaks, basically just creating time um, for customs. And if you're going, you know, if somebody wants to do five to 10 frames, I can put that in, in the, in the gap of customs between batches. So that's, that's really the goal of it all there is cause I want to do custom. I want to do, you know, a small batch stuff for people yeah. and I would like to get it as, as affordable for them as possible. Nice. Um, and, and I'm going to try to make it so that there's never a more than two. I'd like to get to never more than a two month wait for a custom. Nice. Um, so if somebody... ideal... go ahead. Go for it. And, and yeah. Um, and ideally it would be, I'd be able to put the small batch stuff in the customs gap. Nice. Of batches. So the custom meaning like somebody hits you up and is like, I want this geometry. I just want one frame. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's, I got a couple on the board right now. Yeah. I got four on the board right now for customs that'll come in um, after this next batch of nowheres that I'm building. Awesome. Um, yeah. I'm building some 16 and 18s for Carl. Right. Yeah. That's been a long time coming. Just with the idea, yeah, just the idea of it, like him making it happen. It's it's been in create conception for a long time. My whole fucking hope for that was to get him to Carl before Christmas, beans at their kids' bikes. Yeah, but um, I had a few setbacks this last month. Plus, you know, add holidays on top of it. Doing family traveling that yeah. takes up you know, a chunks of time, so. Yeah, so I had a thing here to talk about. My buddy Jeff Mead, who rides a Trident frame, he had a really cool question whenever I was telling him I was going to do this. Just asking if you ever tinker or experiment with like, like the animal wishbone or pierced top tubes or in investment casts or anything. Like, do you ever just mess with that like on your own to just do it? Yeah, I do. I uh, so I made my brother. I, I would call it a half pierce frame. Mm. It kind of, it kind of resembles. I don't know which one. One of the T ones in a way. Is that what you um, showed this, me when I was there? I think so. Yeah, because the T one would kind of go. It sit. The seat stays would sit above the top tube. Mm. I kind of tucked mine inside so that it's got kind of like a perfect smooth flow between the two angles. Um, I. I I've done that on a few customs. I have a template now to make it on, on uh, my own person, you know, on, on my Tempest frame, but it is, it is a one-off thing. I can't, I, I haven't figured out or had the time to sit down to figure out um, an actual machining process to replicate it gotcha. comfortably. The, my, the template I have works for one fucking geometry. Uh. Um, at least one combination of a couple geometries. Oh, uh, okay. So what you're saying is like you change the seat tube angle at all and it completely changes multiple other angles that happen with this. And then, and then you're kind of starting at square one. Yeah. Like if your chain stay moves 
even a, a quarter of an inch, this angle changes and you got giant gap down here. Yeah. And you can't do that. It's got to be a super tight fit. Right. So whenever I do, I'm just sitting there with the grinder, tick, 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 you know, nipping it away until it fits perfect. And then, and then I can weld it. But yeah, you can see it's, it's got a pierce on the bottom and then it's open on the top. That's super cool. I, I, I slide it over the tube. I bake a marker. I grind it close and then I start. So I can at least cut out 15 minutes of time doing it with that thing. Yeah. But that's, a, that's a one geometry. So like, how do you even approach something completely different or new like that as a person who's building the frame? Like, how did, how's that even start? Uh, one of the things I learned from Jim bag, uh, you just sit there and think, <laughs> Okay. Like that would, that's one of the things I remember going back and watching him when he would make a new fixture, he would just, he'd go back and he'd be staring at the fucking wall and he was just running the part in his head going, all right, if I bend it that way, how the fuck does that move? Where does it move there? And he was experienced and you know, I go through, I try to do that as best as I can, as best as my brain allows me to. But I mean, that's, I just sit down and look at the pieces I need. And just look, if I don't have pieces, I'd look at a sketch and just start to go, all right, how would I do that? If I'm, if I grind it there, what actually moves? Does it get out of the way? I guess um, you're lucky in that sense that a BMX frame is a very like logical, rational, like being like this thing. Yeah. If you change this, it has to affect something else. So if you have this idea, you can kind of just approach it logically. Like, all right, if I'm going to do that, well, then I have to do this. Yeah, they're, they're simple enough that it helps there, but complicated enough that I still got to think, you still got to sit and kind of think about it. Right. That makes total sense. Because I was curious with things just like the animal wishbone or even making the nowhere frame or or the 16-inch nowhere frame of like, there's there's got to be a you know, a mental process or something that, that makes it repeatable for one, but also mm -hmm. just getting there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so the, that the brace on the nowhere frame, um, and it's also, you know, financial blockades at points too. Um, the first fixture I had was great. It worked great, but man, I had to like go super slow. I had to like really make sure that that, that stayed in line because it was, you know, a, a smaller clamp fixture that can move more easily. So if I went too quick with my hole saw, it'd bump it and move. I'd have to completely reset up. Um, so as I'm using that one going, this thing fucking sucks. <laughs> uh, uh, I started, you know, thinking about, you know, a different way to do it, a different clamping mechanism, a different style for this. And, and I've, I've got it figured out now for those frames that, Initially, you know, there was a point where I'm like, man, maybe I'll just build it on a computer and get it laser cut, mm. um, which would be simple. But those parts are kind of expensive, like the the little cable stop. Oh, yeah. I mean, to have that laser cut drilled and tapped, I think uh, FBM was buying them for like four bucks. I think I think the quote I got was like four fifty for one per piece. Yeah. For one. Yeah. Just I mean, it's it's a half inch tall. Cause it's just, I mean, it, it's a process. So that brace tube 
it would have probably been a five or six dollar brace too, which it's now that I got a good process, I, you know, I, I cut out a bunch of that and I'm happy enough with its replicability. It's solid as fuck now. Um, and, and I mean, I started doing it the last time I made a batch, a couple batches. I always like to add a worst case scenario. So I just started throwing them in super haphazardly. And then I checked that one. And I mean, I could, a dummy could put it in the in the fixture and it'll you know somebody who doesn't know what they're doing at all um and it'll it'll work it's replicable so that's awesome and, and if, enough, i don't need to fix it awesome. or not fi- to do the laser cut yeah that's awesome and so if anybody wonders about when you're talking about fixture stuff uh i have a video with you on my channel all you gotta do is type in okay. bmx whatever remember when i stopped there and we did that and you just went over the whole fixture already yeah. exists i'll move so people can see that that's the fixture right right there <laughs> and uh yeah it's it's pretty sweet it's cool how you made it and how it's like it all can just be what's the word modular is that correct? yeah but i mean this one right here, Jim Bag made. I was able to acquire that from FBM okay. um, when I left. So that helped. That helped drastically when I did make the move. That was a big, a big help. Um, I have a new one designed in my mind, which I'd like to get out sooner than later. Um, so that way I could do a bigger batch of frames. Like if if Animal wanted the 150, I could do 150, and if a custom frame comes in, I can just be like. All right, I'm in the middle of a pause point on this 150. I'll build your custom. Yeah. Um, so I could just, I mean, if I could make that the custom, a almost a no weight process or like a you know a two week process. That's that's really something that I'm trying to you know I'd like to be able to get to. Yeah. And then appease the you know 150 because it's it's easier for me to build that many because you know I'm sitting at the mill. I can just. I can yeah. just run, you know, it's already set up. Just keep going. Yeah. Um, would make things, you know, easier. Yeah. Just cranking out. Cause it's all the exact same piece. Right. It's all the same piece. So it just, and it doesn't take that much longer. It, the setting up is, is the most time consuming part. That makes sense. So yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the actual like art of building a frame itself too. Like, I I don't know how many people look at their frame and think about like all of these tubes are individual components and each one has a process that has to be done just to get to like like your head tube. I feel like people, unless they really sit there and look at it, have no idea what it actually takes just to do the head tube. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's something that I you know that's I, I love the the fact that Derek's eye can do such an amazing job with that. Cause they're so clean. There's like no machine marks. It almost looks like a, the tube was formed that way. They look so, so good, but you got to design it on the computer and make the program of it all. He has to go through and figure out how he's going to cut it. He had to make uh, you know, different clamping dies so that it could clamp around mm-hmm. the cup of the head tube and still clamp it in the same spot so that they can be the exact same length every single time. And I believe it's a, at least a two-step process where he does one side, it drops off. He's got to pick it up, flip it around, put it in the other side to get the other cup cut. Uh, that's, you know, I think it's a two-step. It might even be a three-step process. I know he has to cut them. He has yeah. to cut them to size. 
Somebody was asking, <laughs> and this is the perfect place, if you could do a soup can head tube. I have some old race race wall thickness, so they're thinner. But I I actually have a couple um, from FBM when we did the rate the race frame with the soup can head tube. So like you could use one of those on a frame. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> there's barely any rust on them. I just actually saw them last month. Going, damn, these things are still clean and thin uh but <laughs> if you're not if you're not jumping down 40 stairs or you know getting gnarly as fuck with it it's it'd yeah. be great it'd, it'd work well awesome so what maybe when it comes to like building a frame because i don't know the right question to ask about the art of building a frame but like what are some of the the considerations that people probably have no idea about that you have to take into account when you're making a frame fit uh, is one huge one. Like you got to have a tight fit because with, with welding, um, it will pull. And I mean, you gotta, you gotta make sure that there's, there's no gaps that it, that when you put a weld in that spot, it, it doesn't close the gap when you weld it and pull the, the frame crooked. Mm. Um, the way I weld them, I weld them in a specific sequence so that it doesn't twist when you weld it. I, I like to check every, every now and then, if the frames fixture is still set up for the same frame that I just built or just finished welding, I like to put it in and make sure that everything kind of just goes right back into place. Um, I don't have a, a gauge, you know, a, a, a square alignment table to, to check everything, but I put them back in the fixture once in a while to make sure that my sequence still works. Yeah. Um, and as long as there's no gaps and I weld my right sequence, it works, but fits, fits a big thing, making sure that you get the angles right. Um, the angle finder I use now, I can go into, into the second digit of, of a decimal, um, to make sure that the angle's proper. I mean, even if I don't read the angle proper, I give my mill a little bump and I can make it, um, you know, fit, fit tight and proper. Yeah. Um, bending with the, the thin wall that we use when you bend it, you got to make sure that your bender doesn't wrinkle the tube. Mm. Uh, I, I actually use a, a press to press my tubes now. I had a, a local machinist um, make a double double bend press die. Yeah. Um, I think you. I think I showed it to you um, with maybe with that other video. Potentially, and if you have, and there's uh, that's kind of like what S and M uses in their factory Fridays, where it's a thing that presses and then the bends are already in it. So that's a place someone could go if they want to reference what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I mean he's he's got you know the fucking ideal shop setup. Uh, <laughs> it's only been like thirty six years, so yeah, he's only been doing it for a little bit. <laughs> um, but I mean that's a big consideration too the the making sure that the bends are accurate and you know uh, and for production replicability is is massively key. Like I just listened to a. Elon Musk on Rogan Joe Rogan's podcast and he was yeah. talking about other truck and he was like you know what he, one of the things he was saying where I was just like yes motherfucker like that's say it <laughs> uh, talking about a sample a prototype is is easy you can fucking make that with nothing yep you know I could build that with a grinder on my table and, and come out with a good product but to replicate it and make production 
takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. And as he explained it, you got 10,000 pieces. I have, you know, 12. Um, if you got 999,000 of them done, you're still one off and you can't, you can't finish. Um, so that's been right now where, where that hit me so hard is cause that's where I'm at at the moment is just finishing up that, that last little oomph of, of ready for just, you know, consistent replicable production. Yeah. He literally, Which is, go ahead. That was it. I was just going to say, he, Elon literally hammered that as hard as he could into the ground, just saying, I cannot understate how difficult it is to just manufacture things at high scale like that. Yeah. And and at random too, it almost be like talking about something else and they interrupt <laughs> and be like, all right guys, I need you to understand this. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> this is a fucking process that that's difficult and takes lots of time. I mean, his is obviously a fucking way grander scale than I could even fathom, but Oh man, a car. Um, it's still it's still, you know, truth of of difficulty and and the time it takes to to get there. Yeah, and so I think this is probably a good place to bring up too just like so when you buy a BMX part if it's not 100% perfect don't run to Instagram to bitch about it and tell the whole world because of how difficult it is to make every single piece perfect if you go to the people nicely usually it's going to get taken care of yeah well, pretty much every single time I mean even you know depending upon how things go uh, it might take a minute yeah you know, they don't have shitloads of parts in stock, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's the courtesy of, of humanity, really. Nobody wants to make a bad product. Nobody wants no. their product to go out and you get it and it be off. And through everything you're explaining, it's very, very easy for one little thing to be off in this process. And you just happen to be the unlucky one who gets that thing that part right yeah i mean and, it, and then it, it boils down to is you know how big how big's your your crew your shop like i i try to i mean through years of the experience of it but nowadays what i try to do is i try to stop like every night i try to you know when i'm i'm coming near to, to completion of everything i try to run a qc and then go inside, go away for a while, go for a run, go for a walk, go ride my bike, go do something, come back and redo the QC. Cause it's only me. Mm. So I got to really, you know, make sure that I did check over everything two, three times to make sure that I didn't, you know, overlook a, a missed weld or like, especially with, you know, the difference in frames that I've been building, the, the techs, the nowheres, they all have a different weld sequence mm. that I have to build. I have to build the sequence of welding it. Cause I can't just, I can't grab a tech frame and weld it just like I weld my Tempest frame. Right. It's a whole new sequence of things. So when I'm, I get my flow of swinging my frame around and welding this and welding that, um, I have to change that sequence up completely. So now I'm throwing a monkey wrench in, in rhythm and have to build a new rhythm. And, uh, so you just, I got to stop and go, all right, re, you know, I'm done with this section. I'll go in, in for the night, 
I'll come back out in the morning and I'll, I'll check everything over to make sure that I like the sequence that, you know, I, I, I got a timesheet right next to me that I don't you remember to use as much as I do, but to make sure like, all right, this sequence worked out. And if, when I did it that way, it was the most efficient. Um, and I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to sacrifice the positioning that I like to weld in or the, the seek, the base of the sequence that I like to weld in. Um, and that's a big one is, you know, coming up with the, with the right sequence for the new frames or the different ones. And, and, uh, you know, the strength behind, behind all the fixtures and all that. I was actually going to ask about how you even begin to figure out, like, like, what are you looking for? If you're trying to figure out the sequence, are you just like welding something and then making sure it didn't tweak it? Uh, all the tacks I, I put tacks in while well, it's round tubes. So you don't really have corners, but, uh, the corner, what I would consider the corners of frames, like a nook where um, things I, meet certain ways. Yeah, every tube gets at least four tacks, and all the welds are made to kind of react the way the, the shapes of the tubes go. So I try to – so if there is any pull, it pulls into something that won't allow it to move. I see. So it's a logical Yeah, process. yeah. I build, it, I build it around a lot – like a real logical thought behind behind the weld sequence. So that way, you know – the first weld isn't on the side that yeah. makes total sense i i totally get where you're coming from like to give context to other people to make this make sense the way that you tighten you're supposed to tighten your stem is not yeah. just going around in a circle but here's another way you could think about that too is that if you if you're putting a panel onto something and there's there's bolt holes in all four corners you don't tighten the first corner all the way down and then go to tighten the other one. You do it in an order to get them all in place and then you do your final tighten. tighten. Yeah, exactly. It, it works the same with welding. I mean, there's parallels through everything. So, but that's exactly it. You know, you want to, you want to make sure you do it in the sequence that it's, it, it, you don't have to force anything. That makes perfect sense. Huh? Mm -hmm. So, so I guess like the last thing I had written down to think about is perfect to bring up here because I was talking or thinking about it. I'm like building a frame does feel like a very logical and like by the numbers exact process. So are there any things that you go on that are based on like feel when you're doing it to where like, oh, I feel that this is off or I'm, I'm you're feeling it. Is that just the actual weld itself is by field feel um there's definitely like a, a smoothness like I'll, I'll i'll hit i'll hit the flow of a weld and go oh that felt good and then i'll pull my shield up and i go yeah i thought so okay uh, you know or one where i'm like i you know that didn't feel as great so i looked at it and be like well you know i mean obviously it's not a bad weld i've been doing it for long enough that even my the ones I'm not happy about are still good, but they're not as good as the ones that I've had when they looked great. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I mean, you really, you know, it's it's like building things. If the gut doesn't, if you don't feel right about something, if your gut says something's weird, take a step back, 
and just double check that you didn't forget something. Mostly it would come from, you know, forgetfulness. Like when I first started at FBM, uh, one of the things that I would forget, actually, here's, here's what happened from it. Like the first month or two when I was learning how to do it, I would always, the first batch or two or every once in a while, I would forget to change the bottom bracket height. Uh, so check the bottom bracket height. They didn't vary that much, but you cut the bottom bracket height uh, down to, you know, on a bottom bracket that should have been a 16th inch taller, it doesn't fit anymore when you look at it. So it's like when I'm going to build a custom, if I do feel a gut thing, I just stop and recheck everything, make sure nothing was, was fucked up or, you know, I didn't look at the wrong paperwork or <clears throat> anything like that. And and since I, I work by myself in the, at night now, I watch my, my little girls during the day. Um, even the slightest gut feeling I get, I'll, uh, I'll just stop and check it because I'm generally, you know, tired. So I'm like, I don't want to make any stupid little mistakes. Yeah. So if I even get a gutness of it all, I just, just stop and double track. That makes sense. So, yeah. I mean, the rhythm of it all is, I mean, tags frame name was perfect for it. The autopilot. I mean, you, you set that in and it's a good thing as long as you, you know, pay attention. Um, so the flow of it all has become not quite autopilot, but for for a, a little bit, it becomes an autopilot. God, you know, it makes perfect sense because it's a it's a process that you can't mess up any part of it. So it's not. I was just curious about it, thinking about it from you know like a like a video editing perspective. Like I can't I can't mess up beyond repair. So, so it's just, it's the kind of thing where I was curious, like, I mean, video editing is all based on feel and and it's all just purely, you know, you've edited videos before. So I just wondered if, if there was anything to do with making a frame is like that. It sounds like. To a point it's more, that's definitely would probably come more when I do like little custom shit. Like, Oh, I feel like this is going to work well, you know? This like that junction when I was like, I think I want to do it. I think it, I feel like that's going to look fucking cool. It'll it'll be stiff. Um, you know, I start thinking about the with that one, especially like, all right. So the frames have become. Hold on, I'm losing battery. Real quick. Oh, you're good. Getting the, to the charger. frames have become sort of almost monotone due to you know where we've finally figured out the balance between twisting breaking and feeling good because it's just metal so something's always going to give yeah you know it's it's what do you want do you want it to to crack do you want it to twist um and i feel like the frames now are such in a great happy medium that you, you really don't get an extreme of one or the other. Mm. So when I add this junction, you know, my thought was like, all right, where's, so I'm going to stiffen up that, that junction more. Where's it going to go? Right. Where's, where is the tension from, um, you know, uh, a, a sideways low landing flare going to land? Cause you, that's one of the most 
torquiest ways to fuck a frame up. Oh yeah. With a small hard flare. Um, you're coming around so goddamn hard on that back wheel. Um, and that just twists the living shit out of a frame. So if you have that in a frame, where's, where's it going to go? Is it going to have too much stiffness that it snaps the top tube? Does it torque the, the down tube or the, the bottom, you know, the down in the chain stays? Um, yeah. you know, that aspect of it all, like where it's almost nerve wracking to do too much different stuff just because of, you know, it's at a good happy medium. Yeah. Yeah, people like to complain about how everything looks the same these days. It's it's because it's kind of figured out at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've spent enough time between you know FBMs. They we dropped weight and then we went back up a little bit yep. because we had a slight cracking, a cracking issue that we're like, well, it's a half of you know, it's it's a quarter of a pound. You know, yep. Go take a shit. Before you go ride, you, you lost a quarter pound, you know? <laughs> yep. <clears throat> yeah, man. That's interesting. That's It's cool to hear that because it. I would say the entire process of building a frame is the art versus when you break down the little individual steps of it. Like, yes, what you're actually doing physically with your hand to make a weld for sure is art. But then you go, you have to look at it in a more broad sense to see the real art in a building a frame. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's so many moving pieces to it, and they all need just the same, I, uh, you know, attention to detail as as the weld aspect of it all, too. Super interesting. And, yeah, and I gotta, I mean, I do my own. For the most part, I do all my own powder coating now, so I'm getting to learn that new eye of detail and, and figuring that one out, which is a fun process to to look, you know, to learn and, and get into. It's it's nice to be able to go fully through the completed process, minus the machining and laser cutting of the, uh, you know, the those parts. Um, yeah. To see it, you know, all, almost all the way through now, it's it's pretty cool because. We didn't do the powder coating in FBM. Uh, we sourced, you know, outsourced that one mm. to a local place. But it's it's a lot of fun to do, and and I mean, it's so cool to pull one out of the oven, and you're like, damn, that's that's straight through, you know? Yeah, and that's that's really cool. Yeah, you you saw it from tube that you got this yeah. twenty foot long or however long it comes in to this frame is done sending it to her person to ride it stickered um head tube reamed all that that was the the first main tool that i had to buy when i started doing this one you know by my own was the the park head tube reaming tool mm. in that so i was like that's is that for after you weld yeah Be yeah because welding it changes the shape it moves it, yeah. And we even did an experiment. I ran it at FBM. Um, we bought some head tube sinks to try to absorb the heat to, to oh, make it not. Yeah. Move. We still had to ream it. We still had to chase it. So it's it's you know like it, it's just going to move a little bit. And I mean, I'll be honest. Every time you rebuild your bike, you should you should have it chased. Interesting. You know, it's just metal. It's very likely that it any frame could just move a little bit and only a little bit. It doesn't matter much, but if you ever hear your headset creaking a little bit, 
might you go to a shop, have them chase it real quick. I, I bet I'd get rid of it most in most cases. Huh. Never would have known that. I knew. Yeah, that I mean, it's so subtle. The amount of material that I take off from just the weld alone um, is so fucking little. But, you know, you put it in without it, you can, you know, after a little bit of riding, you can really force it and you can, you can hear a little tiny creak. You can force a little tiny wobble. Um, So if you chase it, they just sit in super square. Yeah. And I guess just to reiterate for anyone who may not have followed what we were saying, there's like your head tube, once you weld everything around it, it changes and then it needs to be re-chased out. That's what you're the word mm-hmm. you're using for that, which is just taking out that variable that changed while it was being welded, so that your bearing fits the way that it's supposed to again. Just su- so it sits down super flat. I mean, even like, like I said, when it's not chased, it's so little that it moves. But I mean, they're little tiny bearings, you know. They yep. They can move. They can move a little bit of shape, but you know. It needs to be square to have a perfect, perfect tight fit. Yeah. And I mean, that's understandable. You want it to be, you want it to be good. You know, that's a safety thing. You don't want it to have a higher probability yeah. of failing. Right. And, you know, having to co- consistently buy headsets and, and yep. you know, and, and new forks or, you know, it'll eventually start to play on the fork, play in the frame more and more, play in the headset. Yeah. So. And that's one thing I've started doing um, for my own frames more so now that the tool's right by the same place I put my bike together. I just, when I rebuild a new one, I just, or, you know, take my bike apart to clean it if I left it out in the rain or anything. I just rerun them, rechase it real quick and huh. pop it together. I'm going to have to talk to Park Tool about that and see if, see if I should just make, do that and make a video about it. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> the, I have a design for a tool for them for the to make the process go a little quicker. Well, I know the people. I can give that to them. <laughs> but with that being said, did we miss anything in your frame building journey? I, I don't think so. I think it touched everything. Um, and I don't think I went on too many tangents, so that we stayed on topic. They're good. Pretty tangents. good. Yeah, yeah, they were they were used. They were, uh, you know, they're necessary. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Necessary tangents. Yeah. So, like, if somebody did want to, you know, get a crew batch of frames or get a custom or anything like that, they just hit you up on Instagram or what? Yeah, Instagram's the best way right now. I uh, I have a different email that I'm trying to separate for just frame building. Okay. Um. I had my main, you know, my, my, my metalworks one, but that gets flooded with all the business bullshit. Every time right. I make a PayPal purchase, I get four fucking emails. Yep. Bike flights, bike flights gets four or five emails each, each thing. So I'm like, I, I get one frame conversation that gets buried within three days that takes forever to go dig it up. So, so um, ask John and he'll send you that email. <laughs> and then... Yeah. yeah. The Instagram, Instagram's the best way right now. Um, I haven't had frames, been able to stock my own frames. So the website, I haven't been able to afford to keep that one going for the, what it was, 
what it was giving me at the time. So. I don't think it's necessary for what you're doing anyways. No, not really. At least, at least until I can actually stock my own shit so that there's a place to go. Right. You're building too many frames for other people that like are, you don't need people coming in. Like if somebody wants a frame, they can hit you up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hit me up. The only thing that I would want the website for in the future is so that I, you know, my team guys could get oh, a yeah. sales on a frame so they can just go, all right, here, type in, you know, that promo code you can get, um, you know, yep. it lets me know that he, he's the one that helped me make the sale so I can help him out. Yep. Streamlining that process rather than, Hey, tell him that I sent you and then you have to write it down and all that. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Have a digital form to remind me. Yeah, man. So yeah, his Instagrams are in the description. If anybody wants to check any of that out, the animal frames I think are sold out. So yeah, they're sold out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the plan, um, you know, my like I was saying earlier, my time frames are completely fucking wrong lately. Oh, so far. Um, but springtime is going to be the next batch of 50. Cool. Um, and I believe those ones are going to be the direct sell ones so that they can kind of get a financial st- standing to uh, for those things. Yeah. To move those to move those along into the next in the next batch. Cool. So uh, the finish of the 150. So that'll be, you can pay attention to animal stuff if you want to get one of those. And if you want to get John a custom in the meantime, hit him up. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I got openings too for the beginning of the year when I make my, after I finish these nowhere kids frames, I'm going straight into, uh, you know, whatever customs I have. And then I'm going to build a couple of my own Tempest frames at that time. Sweet. So, so, Hopefully sometime at the end of January, February will be the next batch of customs. Sweet, man. So yeah, if anybody has any questions or wants to check any of it out, info is in the description. And if there's nothing else we miss, I think we're all set. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Have a good night, everyone.